Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. Hello. Hello, we're back. We're doing it again. We almost, we timed it all up. We almost had um, Shingbani 2 on with us, and they are dealing with uh, something extracurricular weather caused. So uh, we are. Government is conspiring against us. Government is conspiring to collapse our podcast. They're um, causing global warming to prevent us. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> this is Mark's Bandit's Pod, part of Chungaloot Network. Um, we read books. My name's David. I'm Prez. And we are going to be jumping back into the Gramsci reader that Prez has put together for us. We are going to be on the policy of the Italian bourgeoisie section of fascist reaction and communist strategy. That'll be on slide 123. Uh, section, uh, well, bullet point 10, but also its own section. They, the bullet points are like split between sections. Um, before we get into that, we are going to be going away when the new news show show uh, is up and running from the current events. Um, and we will get back to where, like, if something contextual comes up in the reading, we'll bring it up and you can get current events through through that osmosis. But we're not going to make sure we touch every current event because the new news show show will be doing that in depth. Um, and, and we'll be dedicated for that. So, but right now that is not, uh, up and running yet. So we do have to have, uh, discussions, of the current events, obviously the, you're stuck with us. I'm you're sorry. Stuck with us for now. Uh, ongoing, uh, um, genocide happening in Gaza against Palestinians is continuing. And of course, uh, Israel is at the same time fighting, you know, Further and further into Lebanon, I, I, you know, I think maybe trying to bait Hezbollah to, to come into the war, um, which honestly, I, I, Hezbollah is being very like defensive about it. Like only if Israel invades Lebanon, they're not going to fight from the north in in solidarity, which is is you know a little tragic considering what's what's happening in Gaza. But also, like we can't sit here from our our throw you know it's <laughs> staring I mean, down US from inside the like belly a, of the beast and, yeah exactly and we can't sit here from the belly of the beast going why aren't you fighting it you know i mean we we need to be doing the fighting and of course demonstrations are happening in here and protests and things like that and people are getting arrested and and you know we we talked last time about the action of of uh uh piala uh, nation also, you know, getting their canoes out in the bay to stop a, a weapons uh, transport boat out of Tacoma. So things are are happening here, but you know that uh, as far as Israel, it's progressing further in its expansionism north as well, and I believe also bombing Syria um, as it always does too when it's bombing Gaza. And then um, they're also, of course, continuing the genocide in in Gaza and. Um, there are civilian attacks, expansions, and people, I mean, forget about in uh, the West Bank continuing to, like, that doesn't slow down in these bombs. Anything, it increases because people are paying less attention to it. Um, and then, of course, you know, domestically, we've we've still got um, issues. There's still fights over Cop City and uh, the fact that it the city council pushed it through when it lost its vote and now is polluting uh, the lakes. Um, I mean, just... Uh, Mostly continuation. Like, there's one breaking news-ish thing I think we've got that, Prez, I think you want to take away. Yeah, Joe Biden met with Xi Jinping in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, which is a pretty 
That's a big deal. Gavin Newsom uh, broke the ice by tackling a child in China a couple weeks ago. <laughs> nothing, nothing like diplomacy via child tackling. Um, there's a picture of it. Go look it up. He was playing basketball. For some reason, he was playing basketball against school children, and he like decked a kid. Um, <laughs> Good job, Kevin. But uh, but uh, now there's a whole bunch of people going. Well, now there's no homelessness in in San Francisco, and now there's no crime, and it's just like oh god. Well, yeah, they. They didn't actually fix the problem. They just did a whole bunch of mass arrests. Yeah. Um, they literally just moved everyone away. But aside from that, uh, and that's that's typical. I mean, that that's typically the way we're taught to be in the West, right? Like, you know, mass oppression, genocide, starvation. These things. Um, if if you don't see them, they don't happen. Pay no attention yeah, I mean, behind the curtain, right? <laughs> yeah, there was a whole bunch of like petty bourgeois nonsense and social media that was like, oh, now the government decides to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, the problem didn't get fixed. They just squashed they, it for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, and, and, and that's the thing. Like, people think homelessness goes away when they don't see it. Cause when they're talking about the homelessness problem, they're not talking about the people suffering that need help, which is what it sounds like. So it sounds humane and humane, plausible deniability is always important. That's why they have horrible terms like sweeps or destroying people's homes and displacing them. Um, but, uh, but also, you know, um, the, the, it's the same reason we talk about emphasis is, is important as lies. It's, the phrase is it's not about lies, it's about emphasis, but obviously lies are included when it comes to propaganda. You know, um, there is again, as we mentioned, you know, people finally paying attention to to what's happening in Gaza, because you you can't, you can't turn away from that. But, you know, people probably aren't so aware of Israel creeping further and further into Lebanon. People aren't so aware of the West Bank and then other world events that have happened. You know, I I don't think people realize the U.S. is still continually, you know, dr- droning Sudan. I don't think people realize, you know, Rohingya Muslims are still displaced. I, th- these things just fade into the background because they're not covered. And that's done, you know, kind of intentionally. You're, you're told what what leads, right? Yeah, and like we see this stuff all the time with uh, like international, like the Olympic. I was forgetting the word, like the Olympics and stuff. Like they just move people or raise neighborhoods and everything. Yeah. But um, the notable outcomes of this is that China agreed to more heavily regulate uh, fentanyl and other opioid producers um, and more heavily regulate their export. So that's nice. And China and the U.S. agreed to do military intelligence sharing again. Oh. So there seems to be some kind of thaw. Yeah. However slight, it's a potential recognition from the U.S. that, like, we we are – we checked our munitions sock after having just funded Ukraine and Israel – and we're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. The thing to remember too is the whole reason they want to go after China is it's a threat to U.S. hegemony and the the control of the entire economic order. 
every one of these, like the U.S. just massively, massively has the largest military in the world, personnel, funding, already pre-built equipment, all of it, okay? Uh, multiple branches, all of it. And they're always expanding, 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 expanding is, is, is you know, every year that the government budget expands it. So it's always getting expanded, right? Um, so when we say we have the largest military and you go, well, why can't, you know, all these countries in the U.S. goes, oh, I'm out of munitions. You, you do have to realize in order to, what they mean is in order to fight that country properly and win that war, to their satisfaction, they don't care about losing wars as long as they destroy the country. We've seen this in in Libya and Iraq and Afghanistan. They don't care about "quote unquote" losing the war as as long as they're they're subduing, you know, the the territory essentially, right, and and keeping their their resources available. To make sure that they had enough weapons for that, they would have to take away from all the other bases and all the other ways they keep their tendrils tied into everything else worldwide. Because they pull back and hyper-focus on one war, it doesn't matter if they have six times the the military. If they need, you know, uh, uh, six and a half or five and a half of that on the rest of the world and they can only put half of that towards something without losing their control of oil of global trade um and, and because that that's a big reason why countries haven't you know done things like just done exchanges without giving a shit about the dollar right the petrodollar matters a lot from its function and it's hard and a long process to get out off of but also you could still do smaller trades without it. Countries have done to, to get around sanctions and sell out trade with countries and countries don't do it more because of, you know, U.S. violence. Right. Um, and yeah, there's not a big enough military to maintain control over the world and go to war with China for the U.S.'s perceived control over the whole world. So they they are coming to that reality. Yeah, it'd be different if it was like uh there were some other large empires on our side, like back in the the other world wars, but there are no other large empires. Yeah, that that's the other importance and 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 why the U.S. is trying so hard to cut China off from Europe. It's not just to dominate a market. I mean, the U.S. is trying to fully subdue Europe. That's a major part of the Ukraine war, right? They don't care that they're going to wreck the economy and have wrecked the economy of every single European country. And they don't care that they really already are the dominant empire and Europe is folded into the U.S. hegemony. The Europe is not subservient enough to the U.S. hegemony to do things like oppose China and oppose Russia. And so not only is it just a straight up simple, you know, straightforward, like, ooh, we get more liquid natural gas market, right? But also as the European economies collapse from that dependency on the U.S. instead of Europe, the U.S. also absorbs more control over that entire economy and keeps it from you know china uh, being able to establish trade and essentially cr- create peace and create the u.s from destroying it um and so long as that trade happens and gets stronger as china grows as a belt and road initiative um continues on its pathway as that gets stronger the u.s is going to be less and less able um to tell Europe to, to stay on its side. There's plenty of Europe will still be on the U S side on their own Israel, for example, uh, because these are the old empires and, and they are still the, the co- colonial powers. They're still the metropole, but 
they also have their own interests. And if another big economy like China or Russia is trading with them, they don't want that to collapse for the sake of the U.S. They don't give a shit about that. And they'll stand up a little bit because they've got to protect their own interests to that level. They, they hurt it enough with the sides they've taken in the Ukraine war. Uh, and one final piece, during the debrief, uh, Biden got asked a question, most of them inconsequential, and this one too, but nonetheless funny. Biden got asked, do you still think that uh, Xi Jinping is a dictator? And th- because it's all on video, you can see Blinken reacting to it in real time. Um, and Biden says, well, yeah, he's a dictator. Uh, because his government is different than ours, and you can see, and like, and like one, I actually kind of appreciate the very honest uh, assessment there. Yeah, that it's not even trying to pretend anything else. It's just literally like Western democracy, good, non-Western democracy, bad. But like, you can see like the blood drain from Blinken's face as he's saying it in his head, like, turn. Um, so I recommend going look that up. <laughs> that is that is quite funny. Um, I can't look it up right now because, you know, doing Talking this. to the listeners, not you. Yeah, you enjoy it. You enjoy it. I was telling the listeners to do that for me, although I've done it by the time they do it because <laughs> they're just going to hear this after. Um, <laughs> anyway... Um, so with that, let's get into the reading. Uh, we've got the policy of the Italian bourgeoisie, uh, section 10, slide 123. Uh, if you want to go ahead, press. Hey, yeah. The aim which the Italian ruling classes set themselves from the origin of the unitary state onwards was to keep the great mass of the working people subjugated and prevent them from becoming by organizing around the industrial and rural proletariat, a revolutionary force capable of carrying out a complete social and political transformation and giving birth to a proletarian state. The intrinsic weakness of capitalism, however, compelled it to base the economic economic disposition of the bourgeois state upon a unity obtained by compromises between non-homogeneous groups. Groups. In a wide historical perspective, this system is is clearly not adequate to its purpose. Every form of compromise between the different groups ruling Italian society, in fact, becomes an obstacle placed in the way of the development of one one or other part of the country's economy. Thus, new conflicts are produced and new reactions from the majority of the population it becomes necessary to intensify the pressure on the masses and the result is a more and more decisive tendency for them to mobilize and revolt against the state. Dot, dot, dot. Part 11 is missing. So on to part 12. (laughs) We were last time we were uh, going on about the dot, dot, dots and why can't we get more? So back to the dot, dot, dots, back to the ellipse. Ellipses. 12. The establishment of the industrial, industrial, well, I guess I'll answer that, because this is a uh, selected works. The editor just took things out and excised them when they were too rambly or kind of incoherent. 
And there's what we would say is an issue with that because you don't get the full text. But when you're reading like the the like text itself and you consider yourself an expert, you may read it and go, well, you know, people who are reading the reader don't really need this, these couple sentences that don't really match up with anything. So that's the tension in, in this kind of editorial process. So anyway, onwards to 12. The establishment of the industrial agrarian dictatorship posed the problem of revolution in its real terms, determining in, in its determining its historical conditions. In the north, an industrial and rural proletariat emerged, while in the south, the rural population, subjected to a quote-unquote colonial system of exploitation, had to be held down with a stronger and stronger political repression. The terms of the quote-unquote southern question were laid down clearly in this period and spontaneously without the intervention of any conscious factor and without the Socialist Party even drawing any indication from this fact for its strategy as the party of the working class. For the first time in this period, there occurred a convergence of insurrectionary attempts by the northern proletariat with a revolt of the southern peasants, the Sicilian fasci. And that, this is before the, the word fascism became <laughs> what it means today. 14. The, the greatest economic concentration in the, in the industrial field occurred in the post-war period. The proletariat reached its highest level of organization, and this corresponded to the maximum disintegration of the ruling classes in the state. All the contradictions inherent in the Italian social organism came to the surface with extreme violence as a result of the reawakening to political life of even the most backward masses that was brought about by the war and its immediate consequences. As always, the as always, the advance of the industrial and agricultural workers has accompanied was accompanied by a massive agitation of the peasant masses both in the south and in the other regions. The great strikes and the occupation of the factories took place simultaneously with occupations of the land. The, the resistance of the reactionary forces once again operated along traditional lines. The Vatican allowed a real party to be formed alongside Catholic action, which aimed to integrate the peasant masses into the framework of the bourgeois state by apparently satisfying their aspirations for economic redemption and political democracy. The ruling classes, in their turn, implemented in the grand style their plan to corrupt the working class movement and destroy it from within by dangling before their eyes, before the eyes of the opportunist leaders, the possibility that a labor aristocracy might collaborate in government in an attempted quote unquote reformist solution to the problem of the state, a quote unquote left government in, in parentheses. But in a poor and disunited country like Italy, the appearance of a the appearance of a quote-unquote reformist solution 
to the problem of the state inevitably inevitably provokes a disintegration of the cohesion of the state and society. For this cannot resist the shock of the numerous groups into which the ruling classes themselves and the intermediate classes fragment. Each group has its own need for economic protection and political autonomy. And in the absence of a homogeneous class nucleus capable of imposing through its dictatorship, a discipline of work and production on the whole country, routing and eliminating the capitalists and landowning exploiters, government is made impossible and the crisis of power is continuously open. The defeat of the revolutionary proletariat in this decisive period was due to political, organizational, tactical, and strategic deficiencies of the Workers' Party. As a consequence of these deficiencies, the proletariat did not succeed in placing itself at the head of the insurrection of the great majority of the population and channeling it towards the creation of a worker state. Instead, it was itself influenced by other social classes, which paralyzes its activity. The victory of fascism in 1922 must be seen, therefore, not as a victory won over the revolution, but as a consequence of the defeat suffered by the revolutionary forces through their own intrinsic weaknesses. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that's important, right? Because that whole section is just like, we, we don't have an excuse. This wasn't a lack of opportunity. The, the world was laid at our feet and we fumbled the ball, right? There was disarray. The conditions were not unique in a way that didn't let anybody rise up. We just failed is, is what Gramsci's saying there. <coughs> and that's, that's important because if you can't look back and see that, if you live in a denial of it's just too big for you or whatever, you can't learn from it and catch the situation when it presents itself and attack it when it comes back around. So um, with that, if you don't have anything else to add to that section, Prez, we can move on to fascism. I, I do not. Uh, fascism's policy. So now we're on 15. These, uh, these numbered lists just continues the same numbers. Uh, fascism as a movement of armed reaction, which set itself the task of fragmenting and disorganizing the working class in order to immobilize it, fitted into the framework of traditional Italian ruling class policies and in a capitalist struggle against the working class. Now, let's be very clear. That description of fascism is fascism is very important and it helps you see why like a lot of the, you know, faux left, you know, jump into fascism, right? Fascism is a deliberate movement to wreck the working class, to break it apart. That's why there's always language of like, you know, the, the, the makers and the takers, or it's, it's done along racial lines or lines of sexuality or things like literally that. the term national socialism. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're united as a Germany. Never, never mind uh, the, the whole United wor- wor- Workers of the World Unite thing where this is the, make, make the socialism right and, and for the, the Germans. And of course, they went on to German for the Germans and, and anti-Semitism and blah, blah, blah. Right. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it is going to try to wedge in there and it is going to try to, that's why there's tons and tons and tons of stealing socialist language and socialist concepts, pivoting them and pointing them to who the fascists want to be the victims, who their, the, who their bigotry is going to point the outgroup to, right? Um, you know, it's not that the economy is owned by capitalists and those capitalists are tied together uh, across banks and across boards of directors and, and things like that, where they're all kind of sharing the same people on top of that and are essentially an aristocracy. No, it's, it's the Jews, you know? Um, and, and anytime you see a workers movement opposing these, this uh, very bad conditions from the people controlling the world, it's actually those workers movement secretly put out by the cabal that is controlling the world and the entire world is there to trick you. Anytime you hear the entire thing is there to, to trick you about something that is beyond a propaganda apparatus, like an entire country, an entire reality, you're being lied to for reaction, for fascism, for colonialism. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. It was therefore favored in its origins in its organization and in its development by all old, all the old ruling groups without exception, but especially by the landowners who felt most threatened by the pressure of the rural populace. Socially, however, fascism found its base in the urban petty bourgeois and in a new rural bourgeoisie thrown up by a transformation of rural property in certain regions, phenomenon of agrarian capitalism in Amelia, origin of a category of middlemen in the countryside, land grants, new divisions of holding, etc. Uh, and that that seems familiar in the United States too. Again, you know, it's not like for like and the conditions are, are different, right? Um but there are some some familiar terms, you know, uh, the petty bourgeoisie is going to carry it and not just urban, but especially suburban. Uh, now, if you go into rural areas, they're thought of as having these very specific reactionary politics. And it's a lot of that's because the people with social cachet or any power or whatever there, especially the landowners, especially the agrarian farm owners who are underpaying uh you know, international workers and, and immigrants and then screaming about anti-immigration tend to be the big bedrocks of fascism. Well, so let's distance ourselves from the eye roll for a second and think about this whole petty bourgeois being the foundation of uh, fascist reaction. And what exactly is petty bourgeois and what exactly is petty bourgeois ideology? And petty bourgeois is you are not a worker and you're not a business owner, right? You might, you, you own your own business, right? Think of someone who like owns a corner store or owns the garden center. Mm -hmm. You might employ one or two, maybe three people, but overall it's not really a large business. So you're working there. Like this is the romanticized small business owner kind of thing. The, the small business owner, when it actually means that, not a car dealership that yeah, employs three hundred exactly, people. and has multiple branches. Yeah, this is that. This is it's that schlock. This is actually what petty bourgeois is. But the whole idea of petty bourgeois is that it's anti-monopoly, right? Petty bourgeois people. Once there is a monopoly in town, they can't compete. We hear this all. We heard this all the time when Walmart became a thing, and all yep. that, all that schlock. Yep. Um, they hate monopolies. 
because what happens when they be, when a monopoly comes in town, they can't compete, they go out of business, and then they become a proletarian. So there's inherently a anti-capitalist, anti-monopoly aspect to petty bourgeois ideology. And it's not anti-capitalist in a socialist way, it's anti-capitalist in a pro-competition way. Because capitalism always leads to monopoly. So they want government intervention to always prevent monopolies to form or at least help out the little guy kind of all of that shtick. So when we have this kind of stuff going on, this petty bourgeois reaction comes about, especially when we have massive, uh, what would you call it? Massive forces of monopolization going on at the time. Yeah. So yeah, massive centralization is is yeah probably, but if we're looking for a better or a, a more a different term, you know exactly. Yeah, so and, that, and that makes sense. So that's why they pick up a lot of these anti-capitalist talking points and rail on big, you know, big business and stuff like that. But then the capitalism can never be the problem. That's what they thrive on. Yeah. And Palancis has that part of Palancis' whole idea of, uh, he has a whole thing in one of his books, Fascism and the Third International, about what exactly is petty bourgeois ideology. But um, when you have a rural area, right, especially when there's peasantry, uh, especially at this time, right, we have the whole, even in the U.S. today, we have the whole... A romanticized idea of the uh, small farmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so imagine that's a lot of that's a lot of petty bourgeois people, and again, most of them don't exist. Most of them are big conglomerates, paying exactly. migrant migrant workers. There is the word I could not think of earlier. Oh my goodness, paying my underpaying migrant workers, owning the massive farm equipment like tractors that cost more than your house. Exactly. Um, you're not even allowed to repair them anymore. But imagine if you're living in Italy during this time period where you're a peasant, your family has lived on the land, like this is feudalism. Your family's lived on the land for literally maybe thousands of years. And then you have primitive accumulation. So now you have one guy now owning the whole county or whatever. And now you're a wage worker on that same land. And now you're, you can barely pay rent and all that shit. And you want to go back to that petty. Now it's a petty bourgeois idea that you should be owning the land you work and you want to be that small farmer because now you're under capitalism. You're no longer a peasant. You can't go back to peasantry. You want to be a petty bourgeois small farmer. So there's a transformation there. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, and then also, of course, you know, because of the the propaganda and culture and things going on in the U.S. and the the history with you know the the uh, genocide of indigenous people and homesteading and, and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. small landowners, even even you know, some people that just just own a house, um, you know, land ownership tends to kind of take on a similar character, which is why you see 
even a lot of like management uh, workers and stuff in the suburbs um, that are not, you know, petty bourgeois themselves. Right. Um, They are, they essentially are because they, you know, they're homeowners and they're obsessed with their property, protecting their property and their property rights. And, and, uh, and of course that, that, comes from racism and bleeds into racism as well all at the same time too um but you know people that that they take very specific care of their idea of the property um and and a lot of that past and that history and the the fact that you know land is yours and your domain and yours to take and dominate and owning the most of it and the most valuable of it is is what your life should be centered around uh has left left the kind of vestiges that leave people like trying to make picturesque lawns against the very nature their house is in. Um, and that's a fucking, that's literally a feudal French feudalism thing. Mm, nice. It, it drives me crazy. Like that is a thing that the French monarchs did back before the French revolution. Um, but like for the American romanticism, like they would have advertisements and stuff in like New York city and Boston and be like, Hey, you'll never own anything as a slum tenant in the garment district or whatever, but come out to the wilds yeah. of uh, the uncivilized wilds of Oklahoma and take this land that's never been owned before mm-hmm. and, and uh, homestead it. And you can be your own landowner, your own farm owner. And it turns out that land was owned and all of that stuff. Um, yeah. But, I mean, uh, it's, yeah, it's, that's again the whole mythology. Yeah, again, for people who do not see what's happening in Gaza right now as a continuation of settled colonialism and exactly what happened in the formation of the United States, you know, compare the idea of someone, you know, uh, like again, Netanyahu's from Philadelphia. Uh, a lot of people, you know, someone from the United States that's Jewish getting to go off and just, you know, hey, maybe things are a little tougher financially in the the u.s it's hard being a, a worker here or a small business owner here or whatever the fuck but you have enough means to punch yourself halfway around the world and never mind the people being displaced and genocided you got a home right here ta-da you know yay for the settler colonial project right um and and how that happens that's exactly what happened here with homesteading netanyahu wasn't actually born in philly but he was raised in Philly. Um, his like he was born in Tel Aviv, but his oh, okay. his family like is from Philly. Yeah. So he went back there and lived there for like fifteen years or some shit. So it's just really funny to hear him talk with the Philly accent. Um, but they they like they ang- they they not they not, I was gonna say anglicized they Hebrewized their name. His name is not Netanyahu originally. Oh, <laughs> I did not know this fact. Yeah, his his uh, his family name was I. I'm not going to pronounce it right. Um, Nilaikowski. Oh, nice, nice and Polish. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, which I mean, we've all seen, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and, and how 
very, very uh, w- white as, as anyone else he is. I well, mean, he, that, yeah. Before you go back to reading this, yeah. I found out the other way, other day that the Israeli term for quote unquote native born Israeli. So like, Oh, they have a term for someone who, who was like born is in Israel, Israel. So like they have like native Israeli and then someone who like immigrated to Israel. This is there, very, much, this reminds me a hell of a lot then on, uh, uh, the whole idea of uh, uh, criollo in uh, in Spanish settlement, then. Yeah, but the term is sabra, like the hummus. Oh, okay, yeah. And its name? Do you want to guess what it's named after? You'll never guess it. Well, then I shouldn't guess it. <laughs> it's named after the prickly pear cactus. Do you want to guess where the prickly pear cactus is originally from? Mm. Like, where is that species native to? The prickly pear cactus native uh-huh. to? I genuinely don't know. It is native to North America. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it is considered invasive to the region. So the Israelis who were born in Israel are, wait, wait, is it the Israelis are calling Israelis that are born there? Sabra or Palestinians are Israelis. Israelis. Oh, really? So they, they promote <laughs> settlement so much that, that the people being born there makes them an invasive species, but settling there, not, not a big deal. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. I know. Yeah. And for all of you botanist people, cacti are all native to the Americas. There are no cacti native to anywhere in the other continents. That makes anyway. perfect sense, but was not a fact I knew. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah. Um, in substance, fascism merely modifies the program of conservation and reaction, which has always dominated Italian politics. Through a different way of conceiving the process of unification of reactionary forces. It replaces the tactic of agreements and compromises by the project of achieving an organic unity of all the bourgeois forces in a single political organism under a single, under the control of a single center, which would simultaneously direct the party, the government and the state. Uh, This project corresponds to the determination to resist the, to the last against any revolutionary attack. It thus allows fascism to win the support of the most decisively reactionary part of the industrial bourgeoisie and of the landowners. And again, that makes sense, right? Um, you know, fascism is, we've said how many times, is the vanguard against socialism, against worker power. And that's how it gets power. There's a bunch of, of um, you know, bourgeois people that are like, yeah, we don't really like this. It's it's in bad taste or it. it brings you know a little of that brutality that that seems to go away when we don't look at it to the surface where we're we're now suddenly a little uncomfortable with it or maybe we're all down for that but you guys are like railing against you know our institutions that we've kept this power from or our monopoly all that fucking goes to the side and they're rah rah for it when it's putting down worker movements you know I mean, we've seen this with like when nazis were 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 uh turning West and fighting a two sides war and, and, and threatening Western capital, right? All of a sudden, finally they're the big bad guys when they're largely built up. 
uh, by Western capital. Uh, and then after the downfall, there's all this revision of World War II where like all of these Nazi collaborators are like, oh, they were just they were just fighting off off communism and 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 they saw oppression from both sides and stuff like that. And that the the you know dual genocide theory, uh, Holocaust denialism stuff is just got super in vogue in in liberal circles and has stayed that way and gotten more and more robust since, right? Um, because Hey, it you know it was there for the Cold War. It's against communism. It's whatever would stop the workers' movement. Um, and because fascism does that very well, um, it gets to be that vanguard for the bourgeoisie. So fascists aren't valued by the bourgeoisie as far as they could throw them. But also, like, there's times where they get really valuable, and all of a sudden they're in power. <laughs> uh the fascist method of defending order, property, and the state tends even more than the traditional systems of compromises and left policies to shatter social cohesion and the political superstructures which go with it. The reactions which it provokes must be examined in relation to its application in both the economic and in the political field. In the political field, first of all, the organic unity of the bourgeoisie in fascism was not achieved immediately after the winning of power centers of bourgeois opposition to the regime remain outside of fascism. Fascism is compelled to struggle very fiercely against these surviving groups and to struggle even more fiercely against Freemasonry, which it rightly considers as the organized center of all the traditional forces su supporting the state. This struggle, which is the sign of a break in the block of conservative and anti-proletarian forces, whatever the intentions may in a certain circumstance favor the development and self-assertion of the proletariat as a third and decisive factor in a political situation. That is interesting with the Freemasonry, because obviously that's always been tied to a lot of bourgeois politics and uh, Southern colonialism with the whole, like, you know, the founding fathers and stuff with that too. And I know there's some reality to that, but I'm so used to Freemasonry being like, I don't know, this, this, object of disguising fairly obvious anti-semitic talking points uh, i mean maybe. freemasonry is and was a thing Eric oh Adams no and i get that and that's the thing that's the thing is like de delineating what freemasonry freemasonry is and and what it means politically versus it, you know it just being like like a lodge thing or whatever um because I know it's very real and it was very th thing again, like a lot of the, the, the founders of the United States and stuff practice and it being a, a, an anti-Semitic or fascist talking point, um, like kind of a, another stand in for the cabals, like delineating that is, is always been difficult for me because it's always been very confusing. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the problem. There's so many of these like secret societies that do actually have power in politics. Oh, oh yeah. Um, there is, uh, like in, there's, there's in the skull and bones in Yale. Yeah. Yale, the skull and bones, which wasn't that founded by Prescott Bush. I don't know if it was founded by him, but yeah. the, every Bush has been in it. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. okay. Like the Freemasons are much about that older. Before. I think Shigmani mentioned that the, um, that the skull, the, and I suddenly remember forgetting whose skull is it, uh, the indigenous, it's a historically relevant indigenous person, but the indigenous person. Geronimo? Oh yeah. It might've been Geronimo. Geronimo's skull being stolen. I think maybe that's what it is less than Prescott founded, but Geronimo's skull 
was stolen at least theoretically by Prescott Bush. Yeah. That's what, that's what they were mentioning last time. Yeah. So, I but, mean, uh, it's, it's messy. <laughs> yeah. At, at this period of time, like, especially in Europe, the Freemasons were still pretty powerful and like Mao even banned Freemasonry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a thing. I'm just saying like, it's been gummed up by nonsense so much now that I've, oh, yeah. I've had trouble figuring out where the nonsense and where, and I'm good at investigating and researching and picking this stuff apart. And I've been confused on that one. <laughs> like that's, well, that's, it's just confusing. That's why we should always just say the bourgeoisie because yeah. no matter what, our conspiracy will always be right. Because <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> All their little subgroups and 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 different things. It's the bourgeoisie, you know. Um, anyway, in the economic field, fascism acts as the instrument of an industrial and agrarian oligarchy to concentrate control over all the wealth of the country in the hands of capitalism. This cannot fail to provoke the discontent in the petty bourgeoisie, which believed that with the arrival of fascism, the hour of its rule had struck. A whole series of measures are being adopted by fascism to encourage a new industrial concentration, the abolition of death duties, financial and fiscal policy, heightening of protectionism. And to these are the correspondent of measures favoring the landowners and directed against small and medium farmers, taxes, duty on grain, the battle for wheat. When it says death duties, is is that an inheritance tax? Like what they say, yeah, death it's an tax? Inheritance tax? Oh, my God. So they calling it a death tax has been a talking point for. Yeah. Over I mean, this is literally what I was talking about, like what ten minutes ago. Yeah, and fifteen minutes ago. Jeez, the accumulation of which these measures achieve is not an increase in the national wealth, but the plundering of one class in favor of another. In other words, that of the working and middle classes in favor of the plutocracy. The intention of favoring the plutocracy is shamelessly revealed in the plan to legalize the preference share system and the new commercial code. A little handful of financiers will in this way be enabled without restriction to dispose of vast masses of savings originating from the middle and petty bourgeoisie, and these categories will be stripped of the right to dispose of their wealth. On the same level, but with bigger political consequences, must be placed the plan to unite the issuing banks, i.e. in practice to eliminate the two big Southern banks. The elimination of the Southern banks as issuing banks will transfer this function to Northern big industry, which controls via the Banca Commerciale and the Bank of Italy. Oh, those are the two banks. I was surprised there was no and there. Um, we shall thus see the no, colonial. It, it will end up controlling the Bank of Italy, the national bank, through oh, the commercial bank. Gotcha. Okay. So, like okay. right that now, that makes more sense. Some, I just read the. There's sentence. a balance going on between the commercial banks and the agrarian banks, but once everything is controlled by the commercial banks, then industrial policy will just be for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like how right now the Fed only does financial policy essentially okay. for 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 like stock market shit they don't care about anything else so that was good i, I read that sentence funky so that's good to clarify <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh we shall thus see the colonial economic exploitation and impoverishment of the south increased and in the slow process of detachment of the southern southern petty bourgeoisie 
from the state accelerated. The economic policy of fascism is completed by the measures aimed at raising the value of the lira, stabilizing trade balance, paying war debts, and encouraging the intervention of Anglo-American capital in Italy. In all these fields, fascism is carrying out the program of the plutocracy and of an industrial landowning minority, and at the expense of the great majority of the population whose conditions of life are being made progressively worse. All of the ideological propaganda and the political and economic activity of fascism is crowned by its tendency to imperialism. This tendency expresses the need felt by the industrial and landowning ruling class of Italy to find outside the national domain the elements to resolve the crisis of Italian society. It contains the germs of war, which in appearance will be fought for Italian expansion, but in which fascist Italy will in reality be an instrument in the hands of one of the imperialist groups, which are striving toward world domination. Um, That turned out to be Nazi Germany. Um, uh, as a consequence of fascism's policies, deep reactions are provoked among the masses. This is point 17. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Point 17. Yeah. I should clarifying since we're continuing through these points and we will get to more sections where the points continue. Um, point 17, as a consequence of fascism's policies, deep reactions are provoked among the masses. The most serious phenomenon is the sharper and sharper detachment of the rural populations of the South and the islands from the system of forces which rule the state. The old local ruling class, ellipses, no longer exercises in a state, in a systematic fashion, its function as the connecting link with the state. The petty bourgeoisie thus tends to draw closer to the peasantry. The system of exploitation and opposition of the Southern masses is being carried to extremes by fascism. This facilitates the radicalization of inter of the intermediate categories too, and poses the Southern question in its true terms, a question which will only be resolved by the insurrection of the peasants allied to the proletariat and a struggle against both capitalists and landowners. The middle and poor peasants of other parts of Italy are are too are taking on a revolutionary function, although in a slower fashion. The Vatican, whose reactionary function has been taken over by fascism, will no lo- no longer controls the rural populations completely through the priests, Catholic action, and the popular party. There is a part of the peasantry which has been reawoken to struggle in defense of its own interests, precisely by the organizations authorized and directed by the ecclesiastical authorities. Now, under the economic and political pressure of fascism, this element is intensifying its own class orientation and beginning to feel that its destiny cannot be separated from that of the working class. As for the proletariat activity, to shatter its forces, finding a limit in the active presence of the revolutionary vanguard and in a a passive resistance of the broad masses who remain fundamentally class conscious and give signs that they will begin to move again. As soon as the physical pressure of fascism is relaxed and the stimuli of class interests make themselves more strongly felt, the attempt via the fascist unions to split their ranks can be considered to have failed. The fascist unions changing their program are now becoming direct instruments of fat reactionary repression in the service of the state. 
On point 18, fascism reacts to the dangerous shifts and the new recruitment of forces provoked by its policies by suggesting subjecting the whole of society to the weight of a military force and repressive system which hold the population riveted to the mechanical fact of production without any possibility of having life on its own, expressing a will of its own, or organizing to defend its own interests. And you see militarism always tied to fascism. And of course, um, that has evolved to to where, uh, unsurprisingly, I mean, and maybe it all always had the the back of of cops, considering they've always historically been union busters and and tools of class interest against the working class in capitalist countries. But with the nature of of police in the United States, that's become a particular uh, sticking point of of support uh, from fascists, uh, especially with military support. So generalized and hegemonic and expected in the United States. Um, and then of course, you know, we've talked about this before people that are more right wing are, are obviously going to more likely go into the military, but people coming out of the military tend to be more right wing, more overt white supremacists, higher rates of joining, you know, KKK and neo-Nazis and things like that. Um, because, you know, the overt fascist of the two fascist parties, the Republicans, uh, cater to them even more than the Democrats who are trying their hardest could dream of. Um, and so, you know, fascism just loves fucking jackboots. It just fucking loves them. Um, see, do, 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 do. The so-called fascist legislation has no purpose other than to consolidate this system and make it permanent. The new political electoral law, the modifications to the administrative structure with the introduction of the Podesta and rural communes, etc., are designed to mark the end of any participation by the masses in the country's political and administrative life. Uh, and and do we want to detail the Podesta? Podesta literally is brought back. I just wanted to clarify to make sure I got it right. Uh, yeah, Podesta sure. literally brought back like a city magistrate title that was there in the Middle Ages. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, from back when Austria-Hungary and the Habsburgs ruled over Italy. Um, huh. Nice, <laughs> and it, 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 it's literally like appointed. It's an appointment. <sighs> Nice. So essentially, it's like like an appointed mayor type thing. Um, uh, the control over associations prevents any permanent legal form of organization of the masses. The new trade union policy strips the Confederation of Labor and the class unions of any possibility of negotiating agreements in order to exclude them from contact with the masses who had been organized around them. The proletarian press is suppressed. The class party of the proletariat is reduced to a purely illegal existence. Physical violence and police persecution are utilized systematically, above all in the countryside, to strike terror and preserve a situation of emergency. The result of this complex activity of reaction and repression is an imbalance between the real relationship of social forces and the relationship of organized forces so that an apparent return to normality and stability in fact corresponds to an intensification of contradictions ready to break out at any instant in new ways. 
the crisis which followed the Mattiotti assassination furnished an example of the possibility that the apparent stability of the fascist regime might be shaken from below by the sudden outbreak of economic and political conflicts, which have grown sharper without being noticed. At the same time, it furnished proof of the incapacity of the petty bourgeoisie in the present historical period to lead the struggle against industrial landowning reaction to any outcome. And that is where we will leave off today. Um, when we return, we'll be to the next section. It'll be, it'll be point 19, but the next section will be motor forces and perspectives of the revolution uh, on slide 126. Um, for now, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books, part of the Chunkalutan Network. There's a number of ways you can get a hold of us. Um, all of the Chunkaluta contacts, including our GoFundMes, working on important funds. We did have a chainsaw break the other day. Um, all that is inside our link tree um, that I also believe has the link to basically everything else. Um, but it's uh, linktr.ee slash Chunkaluta Network. Um, that links to our Patreon. That links to the Red Road Construction Drive. That links to Blue Sky, Hex Bear, uh, Twitter, all of it um, for the, the Chunkaluta. Um, and, and let you know what we're fundraising for and what's going on by their links being present in there. Um, you can also get a hold of us through Discord. Uh, Mark's Madness Discord is on our Twitter bio, uh, at Mark's Madness Pod at Twitter or X.com. Um, also, Mark's Madness Pod at gmail.com. I don't think the Gmail. Uh, for Chunkaluta is in the link tree either. So that would be uh, Chunkaluta Network. Actually, I think that one might be chunkalutaorg at gmail.com. I'll double check that with uh, Shigmani too. But um, also, you know, if you, again, email marksmanispot at gmail.com, that can be forwarded to. <laughs> um, Prez, you have any plugs or anything before we get out here? Uh, no. All right. Um, so with that, again, um, you know, get out there, organize, fight. There is an ongoing genocide and we have continual problems of our own, um, including uh, the oppression of, of homeless people like we've talked about, you know, being uh, moved out of San Francisco, the co constant sweeps, arrests, uh, killings of homeless people and homelessness growing by the day, um, and also the hostile architecture that really... Uh, is popping up more and more everywhere um, to try to keep houseless people out of sight um, and out of mind. Um, um, and, you know, obviously we're, there's a lot of work we're doing um, to keep people warm in the winter on the res right now. Uh, hence the uh, GoFundMe campaign. Um, so get out there, organize um, um, with that. My name is David. I'm Prince. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.